It's Monday, August the 19th in the year of our Lord, 2019, and you are listening to Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're kind of taking a look at lessons for next Sunday. And there are uh, four of them with the Psalm, the Old Testament, the Epistle, and the Gospel. I'm not going to be talking about the one I'm going to preach on, but I do want to talk about the one that is found in the gospel from Luke chapter 13. Because at first reading, there may be some problems as to what Jesus is saying. It begins with verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Now, that's really kind of important, that he's going toward Jerusalem. And the reason for that is he had set his mind to go to Jerusalem, which the Old Testament really indicates is somewhere he needs to go. As he himself said, no prophet dies outside of Jerusalem. And so he's on his way to Jerusalem in order that what? he might fulfill the mission for which he was sent by the Father, namely to die on the cross, to rise from the dead, and then to ascend into heaven. Now, as he's going that way, someone asks him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, what the motivation of that question is, maybe the person is talking about himself, or maybe he's seen a lot of opposition to Jesus, and he's wondering, is there going to be anybody left, you know, after Jesus leaves? Will those who save be few? Now, Jesus doesn't answer that question in the sense of talking about others. He instead rivets right on to the questioner, And he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, Jesus elsewhere talks about the wider path and the narrow path. The wider path is the path of good works, which every religion in the world outside of Christianity teaches. The way you get pleasing God and then finally being saved is through your works. Uh, that, that's why at funerals, a lot of people try and give comfort to the mourners by talking about what a wonderful person the individual who died was, all the good works he did. Well, that's sad because nobody gets to heaven by their works. Many of their works are really out of self-interest, which God recognizes because he can read the heart. In fact, you can't even read your own heart. You may be seeing somebody who needs some food, and so you decide to give them some money. Was that because others are looking at you and you want to make yourself look good in front of them, or is it because of your love for Jesus Christ? That's really a hard thing to discern, and a lot of times it's both, because the old Adam never does a good work except out of self-interest. And the new man never does a good work except out of love for Jesus Christ. Now, this is interesting. Strive to enter through the narrow uh, door. 
it almost gives the impression that that's something that we can work on. That, that's why this passage is a little uh, hard to understand. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. What's he talking about? Well, it just so happens there is two parables prior to this passage. The one a parable is the mustard seed and the leaven. So let's look at that one. It begins with verse 18. What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nests in its branches. A very, very small seed. And here you have birds nesting in the branches. But what's the point? How did the mustard seed do that? Well, a grain of mustard seed was taken by a man and sowed in his garden. That's what Jesus is saying about you and me. Remember that parable about seed falling on the various kinds of ground, and when it falls on good ground, it brings a good harvest. What is the seed? The seed is the Word of God, and the good round ground are those who believe what the Word of God is saying. Then he gives another parable in the next verse. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Second one. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. See, that's how you bake bread. And a lot of times, remember when they rushed away in the Exodus, they used unleavened bread. And that's often what we use for the Lord's Supper, unleavened morsels of bread as a reminder of the coming day of judgment. But notice, it's the woman who takes the leaven and mixes it with three measures of flour until it is all leavened. The fact of the matter is here, it is impossible for somebody to work to enter through the narrow door if, as a mustard seed, they haven't been planted, or if they are leavened, they haven't been mixed by somebody else with flour. So this is clearly stating that God is the one who increases the number of people in the kingdom of God. Verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Wow, that seems kind of tough. But guess what? There's another parable in Matthew 25 that almost has the same words. We refer to it as the parable of the ten virgins. Remember, there's a big wedding coming, and so ten virgins take their lamps, and they go out to meet the bridegroom. 
It says five of them were foolish and five were wise. Now, when you take a look at that, the word foolish means they really did not have proper faith. They were unbelievers. And the wise were those who were believers. Verse 3, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. You see, they had a schedule for the bridegroom to come. And if he didn't meet that schedule, they weren't going to be prepared. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And so all of the virgins got ready to trim their lamps. But the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Now, what follows here is very close to our text. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And then verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Lord is going to be returning. Those who are not prepared will find the door shut. How do, does one get prepared? God prepares you. And the only way that you're not prepared, therefore, is you reject the preparations of God. You may refuse to be baptized. Or if you are baptized, you stop going to church, don't take the Lord's Supper, and become like the world in their thinking about God. Well, he's not really so great. He didn't create the world. Evolution created the world. And look at all those silly rules he has uh, against sexual immorality, etc. We don't have to listen to those anymore. Those people, as they remain unrepentant of their sin, may be knocking on the door and Jesus will say, I do not know you. And how does he not know you? Because you do not have faith. Jesus knows those who trust his promises, and therefore he does not know. And what does he say? He says, going back to Luke 13, verse 27, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Now, there is really clear that the person who is not going to heaven is a worker of evil. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians who sin are considered workers of evil. When you're a worker to someone, you really are doing the mission of the person who is evil, which is the devil. And a worker of evil, therefore, is working for the devil. I mean, Jesus doesn't fool around here. 
If you, for example, give false doctrine to a little child, it's better that a rope be tied around you and you be drowned in the deepest lake. Why? Because suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus say about that place where those who are outside the door, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. It reminds me of the rich man named Ives, which simply means rich, and Lazarus, that they both die, and Dives looks up, and he sees Abraham way up in heaven with Lazarus beside him. And he asks Abraham, please send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and touch my tongue because it is so horribly hot where Dives is. And Abraham says, no. Then he says, well, send Lazarus back to my family to tell him what's in store for them. And Abraham says, no, they will not listen. Then Dives says, well, then send somebody back who is risen from the dead. They'll listen to that person. And Abraham's words are tremendous. No, they have Moses and the prophet. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophet, they won't even listen were someone to rise from the dead. Now, one would think that that's not really true. If I knew somebody in my family who had died and then they're risen from the dead, don't I think I would tend to listen to them? But the fact of the matter is, someone did rise from the dead. And I'm not just speaking of Lazarus, because what did that resurrection of Lazarus move the Pharisees to do? It moved them to put Jesus to death. So it didn't convince them at all that what Jesus was saying or who he was, was correct. Not at all. But then, Jesus himself rose from the dead. And they would not even listen to that. Remember, they paid the soldiers to lie, saying that the disciples of Jesus came and stole the body away. <laughs> they knew he had risen from the dead, just as he had risen Lazarus from the dead. He himself had risen from the dead, and they considered it to be a trick of Beelzebub, namely the devil himself. So Abraham is absolutely correct. Don't waste time about the resurrection of Jesus Christ trying to prove it to somebody. Because even if you're able to prove it, it still won't make any difference. The only item that moves someone to faith is not agreeing that some historical event took place, but agreeing with Moses and the prophets that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. There were a number of times when the disciples saw miracles, and they still couldn't figure it out. Uh, the one that impresses me is Jesus is asleep in a boat, a huge storm. <laughs> the disciples wake him up. Don't you care? We're about to drown. And Jesus stands up and rebukes the wind and the wave. O ye of little faith. And the disciples say, 
Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? They still don't get it. They won't finally get it until Pentecost. Although some of them got it a little earlier when Jesus would meet with them, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But notice what Jesus had to do. He didn't show himself to them, and they say, you're resurrected from the dead. Boy, everything you say must be true. No. Instead, before making himself clear to them, what did Jesus do? He began to teach them from Moses and the prophets why it was necessary for him to be crucified and to rise from the dead. It's the word of God, not any kind of evidence that certain historical events took place that saves anybody. Hearing the word of God, the Holy Spirit then uses a specific part of the word of God and not the law, but the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel includes the promises of salvation because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when a person hears those promises, faith is kindled within them, and now they believe all parts of the Bible. And it's really a shame when you get leaders in the church, so-called leaders, who deny parts of the Bible, like uh, the creation of the world, or the Red Sea crossing, or that Jesus really did rise from the dead. That's really sad. But the way to counter that is to keep preaching. Jesus did a lot of miracles when he first began his ministry because that was a sign from the Old Testament that this is the Messiah. And then later on, as the miracles began to dissipate, he did a lot more preaching because as people came to understand him as the Messiah, what is the message that he has? And he spoke with authority. Boy, that's really different. So, in verse 28 that we've looked at, in that place where those whose the door has been closed to, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Yet Jesus says that specifically about some of the unbelieving Pharisees. And definitely in the Old Testament reading from last Sunday in Jeremiah 23, God is just lambasting the false prophets who are telling people what they have dreamed. Namely, oh, you'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Even though God has promised a Babylonian captivity. And they will have greater punishment, God says. Verse 29. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Now, when you hear the word recline, that sounds like they're lying down. But you need to remember, especially at the Lord's Last Supper, the Leonardo da Vinci painting is in error, where Jesus is sitting at the head of the table, and sometimes the head is the middle of the table, sometimes it's one of the ends, and the disciples are in chairs uh, around him, or on the same side he's sitting. No. 
what it was was kind of a, a circle of sorts, and they would lie on the floor, lean on one of their arms, and eat from the table with their feet going away from the table as they lay on the floor. In fact, that was the way that one of the women came in and washed the feet of Jesus with her tears, with her hair, and with a costly perfume that Judas said, well, that's a waste of money. We could have sold that and given it to the poor. And Jesus said, no, you have the poor with you always. You don't always have me. And she is getting me ready for my burial. So, to recline at the table in the kingdom of God is a reminder that in the same way that the disciples received the Lord's Supper, you also will be in part of the fulfillment where Jesus says, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until we do so in glory. And you, as part of the redeemed, will be in glory, not because of any work you have done, but because God planted you in his garden and he made sure that all things were done for your salvation. Then the last verse, verse 30, and behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. What does that mean? Some are last who will be first. He's referring to the way the Pharisees looked at individuals, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. From their point of view, they're going to be last in the kingdom of God if they even ever get into it. But what Jesus is saying, no, these people will be first in the kingdom of God as they come to faith in what Jesus Christ has said. The outsiders from the worst of society, including Gentiles, will be saved. Whereas the upper crust, the Pharisees, many of the rich rulers, because they have their trust in their own possessions rather than in Jesus Christ, will be outside the door, knocking on the door, and nobody will open because Jesus doesn't know them. Jesus knows those who trust in him because they are now his relatives. It's kind of like you have a Christmas party going on and the family comes from all over the country and then you have a knock at the door and you go there and there's an individual who appears to be drunk and he doesn't know where he's at, uh, you will not let him into your house. You may call the police or you may call somebody else to help him, but you don't know him, and therefore you're not going to take a chance by letting somebody you don't know into the house. Jesus knows who he knows. And therefore, just like those virgins How are we prepared for the day of judgment? We're actually prepared by Jesus through faith. And as we continue to grow in the faith by attending church and Bible study and reading the Bible and teaching our children what God is all about, then on that day of judgment, 
will be like those sheep who say, we don't remember doing any of these things for you. But whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you have done to me. Enter into my kingdom. It's a real good uh, passage to show what the narrow door means and to show that salvation is by the Lord and him alone. On the next long gospel, we're going to be looking at a hymn. Have you ever wondered why a hymn is titled the way it is? This particular hymn is A Multitude Comes from the East and the West. And in my promo, I ask, well, how about those from the North and the South? Is it only from the East and the West? Join Law and Gospel tomorrow, Rumination Tuesday, for an analysis of that hymn. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.